I'm Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to season two of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy. Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did. This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study. Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics or send us an email at pushingpediatrics at gmail.com. Hey guys, have you been thinking about joining MedBridge to access the PCS prep program? but just haven't jumped on it yet? Well, we have a special offer for you. We've partnered with MedBridge to offer you all a special discount code on their subscriptions. You can either go onto their MedBridge page and use the code PUSHINGPEDS for $150 off of your subscription or click on the link on the episode summary to go directly to our Pushing Pediatrics page. Follow us, but not studying for the PCS exam? That's okay. You can still use this discount code as well. Share it with your colleagues and other friends who may be studying for their other specialty exams. You all know how much we utilized MedBridge during our studying and how we based our entire study plan off of their content. So take advantage of this special offer and purchase your MedBridge subscription today. Welcome back. Last week was a monster of a week. Consider it our welcome back from the Thanksgiving holiday. We are switching gears a bit this week, and we're going to be reviewing some content and chapters from the evidence-based physical therapy book by Linda Fetters and Julie Tilson. This is definitely a stretch outside of our comfort zone. The research content was a challenge for us when we studied, and it is still a challenge for us. However, we recognize this is an area that is so needed to help you prepare for the PCS exam. So we are going to jump in and try to provide that content for you. The focus this week is going to be on intervention research studies, how to decide if they are applicable for your patient and what the quality of the study is. We will also work through critically appraising the results of an intervention study. So right off the bat, some things to consider. We are specifically talking in this episode about interventions. We are going to look at how to appraise a research study for its applicability and for its quality. What is applicability? Basically, it means who does this apply to? What specific people will benefit from this intervention? So what questions might you ask? You might ask, is the study's purpose relevant to my clinical question? 
then you might ask, is the study population similar to my patient or my clinical question? You also want to know if the intervention and the comparison or control groups received clinically realistic interventions, and if you are able to replicate those things in your own clinic. You will also want to look at the outcome measures. Are they relevant to the clinical question? Also, what was the follow-up like? Do we have enough time to determine the actual impact of the intervention beyond just the clinical setting? Once you have determined if the study is applicable to your clinical question, you need to determine if that study is also of good quality. We want to appraise the quality of a study because we want to be assured that it is good enough to make clinical decisions from. This is looking at the validity of the study. You want both applicability and quality in order to make good decisions. We need to be as certain as possible that the treatment was in fact the reason for the change in the participant. Every study is going to have threats and strengths to its quality. Threats are something that were not controlled and may create uncertainty that the intervention was responsible for the change. What are some examples of threats? Great question. Things like a small sample size, no randomization, or groups that were too different before the intervention. Strengths are the opposite of threats. They are things that were well-controlled and help reach the conclusion that the intervention was responsible for the results. Strengths include things like randomization, intention to treat analysis, and masking of evaluators. Let's dive a little deeper into some of these factors that are in the study design. We just mentioned randomization. So the randomized control trial is one type of research design. We will talk about other types of research design in subsequent weeks. The randomized control trial is the gold standard of research designs for intervention studies. We are comparing things, and this is the most valid way to compare. So we want a random sample of subjects from the population of interest to be selected for a study. We then would assign them to a treatment group randomly. We want our sample size to be large. This helps reduce bias by keeping the groups as similar as possible. The book gives a great example. If your sample size is too small and your groups are not random enough, you may have one group that is more severely affected than the other group. This may change your results and doesn't give you a clear picture of your intervention's efficacy. Remember, you want the groups to be as similar as possible. We touched a bit on this before, but sample size is important. The larger the sample, the better ability we have to believe the results. Additionally, without sufficient numbers, the study may lack power. Power is a statistical term and is defined as the likelihood that the test will detect a difference between groups if there is a difference. The bigger the difference, the more likely you will have statistical significance. Sample size affects power. So if your sample size is too small, then your results might indicate that there is no difference between treatments, but there actually may be a difference. For example, a study that has an 80% power means that the study has an 80% chance of the test having significant results. 
a high statistical power means that the test results are likely valid. By maximizing the power in a study, researchers protect against type 2 errors with a specified degree of certainty and decrease the likelihood that they will miss important findings. A really quick and easy way to remember errors, type 1 errors are false findings and type 2 errors are missed findings. We'll talk about this more in a little bit. Another question that can help us appraise would be, are all participants who entered the study accounted for? You want to make sure you know who dropped out and why. If one group has more dropouts, they may unbalance the study and make the results less valid. This is where the intention to treat analysis can come into play. In the analysis, all subjects are analyzed in the groups to which they were initially assigned. Blinding and masking are other important components to study design. This includes evaluators, participants, and therapists. Essentially, you want the testers and the people giving the intervention to know as little about the study as possible. Then they can't bias the results. The groups also need to be treated equally aside from the treatment differences being studied. And of course, you want to make sure that you are looking at any conflicts of interest or personal gain that may influence the study results. Now that we have reviewed how to appraise the applicability and the quality, we are going to move on to the meat, how to appraise the results of an intervention research study. We are going to take some of the information we have already talked about and be a bit more quantitative about it. Hold tight, this is going to be a little more challenging, but we are here learning with you. We are going to give you confidence to tackle these types of questions on the exam. So in order for us to interpret results, we are going to need to be able to interpret the statistics. Let's first talk about descriptive statistics. These are things like demographics and clinical characteristics of the study sample for the groups you are looking at. Measures of central tendency are measures of the average and are the most widely used statistical description of data. Many variables in research fall into a normal. Sometimes it's referred to as that bell-shaped curve, which you will see on our Instagram this week. Non-normally distributed data is common with clinical populations. Mean and standard deviation are typically reported if a variable has a normal distribution and a median and mode are typically reported for variables with a non-normal distribution. Be familiar with these terms. Measures of variability reflect the degree of spread that characterizes a group from that central tendency. These terms are range, which is the difference between the highest and the lowest, and the standard deviation, which is the average amount that each of the individual scores vary from the mean. The standard deviation is the measure of the variability in the sample. So we talked about this earlier, but just to review, the group should be as similar as possible at the beginning of an intervention study. This is why we randomize. Group differences at the beginning of a study are a potential source of error. Which that makes sense, right? Like, you want them to be similar because we're looking for differences. And sometimes those differences might be small. And so the more similar they are at the beginning gives us a better chance of determining if there's a difference at the end. 
error can be introduced by so many factors, people, machines, instruments. Reliability is the ability of people and instruments to produce consistent measurements over time, thus reducing this error. Validity and reliability are two important components. Reliable data means that it is reproducible by one or more people and stable over time. Remember your intra-rater, which is the same therapist, and inter-rater, which means between therapist definitions. There also needs to be reliability in our instruments in that it yields repeatable results when administered correctly. Reliability is expressed by association or correlation. Reliability should have high values of association. The statistical test for reliability depends on the type of data you have. So that means... So that means we need to talk a little bit more about data now. Data in this sense refers to measured variables. The type of data depends on the measurement tool and the specific scale of measurement. There are four main scales to know. You have your nominal scales, your ordinal scales, your ratio scales, and your interval scales. Nominal scales are categories without order. Ordinal scales are categories, but with an order like a ranking scale of most to least. Ratio scales are ordered and continuous. The example from the book is range of motion. Interval scales are also measured intervals like ratio scales, but they have a meaningful zero. Temperature is an example of an interval scale. Ratio and interval data are referred to as continuous. For these, we definitely recommend figuring out an example that correlates to each one of these scales. It'll just help you to remember them better when you're, if you get a question on it on the exam. Statistical methods for analysis of reliability depend on the type of data you have, which we just discussed. Intra-class correlation coefficient reflects continuous data and reflects the association of two or more measures and the amount of association. This is the most common statistic for more than two measures. Spearman's row is for ordinal data and reflects the association of two measures. Kappa is for nominal data and reflects the association of two measures and accounts for chance. Kendall's tau is for nominal data and reflects the association of two measures. The interpretation of all of these is the same, meaning that a value of zero means no association, and a value of one means perfect association. There are two more statistical measures for reliability. Cronbach's alpha is for continuous categorical ordinal data and reflects the internal consistency of an instrument or a scale. This number should be close to one, meaning all items relate to each other and to the construct of what is being measured by the scale. The standard error of measurement is for continuous data and reflects the variability of the standard deviation of a measure against probabilities of this variation. High values for this are not good. They tell us that there is a lot of variability in the standard deviation, and that means it isn't very reliable. This is why this stuff is so challenging. Before you can answer a question on statistical analysis, it's important to understand what type of data you are working with. 
because your answer may change depending on the type of data you have. Pearson R, also known as the Pearson product moment coefficient of correlation, is often discussed in reliability, but the Fetters book specifically says that it is not the best choice and intra-class correlation coefficient is preferred. Moving on to study results and how we go about analyzing those. When analyzing a study, you want to know if confidence intervals were reported. Confidence intervals are a range of values that include the real mean for a population. Obviously, a study is just a small sample of a population. Everyone isn't participating in the study. These samples provide estimates of what we might expect from the population as a whole. Confidence intervals tell us how accurately the means represent the population. Often they are described as 90% or 95% confidence intervals. Confidence intervals are common when we look at intervention studies because we are comparing two different treatments. The confidence interval helps us know if the mean changed, did it change enough to be meaningful? Does it span outside of that confidence interval? Now we are going to move on to inferential statistics. These are the tools that help us interpret the differences we see in a research study. Was the outcome due to the intervention or was it due to chance? Inferential statistics are all about probability. They are expressed as p-values. P-values are an expression of the probability that a difference identified is due to chance. A large p-value means that results have a high probability that they are due to chance. This means we cannot conclude that the treatment that seemed better was actually better. So we need a low p-value. That helps us be more confident that the difference was not due to chance. The alpha level is this agreed upon number of 5%, 0.05. This is the same number we can look at to determine if the groups were different at baseline. Remember, we do not want the groups different at baseline. If the p-value was way above 0.05, then we can be fairly confident that the groups were in fact not different. Let's circle back quick to what we discussed before. So type one error, as we said above, are false findings. This means we concluded there was a difference when there was not a difference. This is why we set alpha at 0.05. This reduces type one error. Type two errors are missed findings. This means we said there was not a difference, but there actually was. This means we might conclude that a treatment is not effective when it in fact could be effective. Small sample sizes are the most common reason for type two errors. We just don't have enough data to detect that change. Some other common statistical procedures that you should be familiar with include chi-squared. So this is used to analyze nominal categorical data. It compares the observed frequency with the expected frequency. A t-test, this is a statistical analysis used to compare the means of two groups. Analysis of variance, this is used to compare the results of more than two groups. The repeated measures ANOVA, 
This is used to compare multiple measures from the same subjects. The analysis of covariance, this is used to compare means and remove the contribution of a factor that is present during the experiment that was not controlled. So something like a medication. Okay, guys, we're getting there. We know this is a really big episode, so we are going to plug our listener support click. Click on the link in the episode notes. If you think this stuff is valuable to your preparation, please consider supporting us. All right, finally, we're going to move on to the clinical relevance piece. We have analyzed this mythical paper to death, and now we need to know, was there a treatment effect? Does it matter to my patient? Statistically significant results may not be clinically significant results. We need measures other than just p-values to bring this research paper into our clinic. The p-value helps us establish the role of chance, but it is also helpful to know how big of a difference there actually was. One way we can evaluate the magnitude of difference is to calculate the effect size. This is referred to as Cohen's D. The effect size D provides that magnitude. A large D means a big difference. Studies with a large effect size are better suited to be used in the clinic setting because they have a greater magnitude on patient outcomes. A number greater than 0.8 is a large effect size, 0.5 to 0.8 is medium, and 0.2 to 0.5 is small. All right. That wraps up our analysis on intervention studies. We will tackle a few more research topics in the coming weeks. Until then, happy studying. Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time. And remember, you totally got it.